Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. So do you save that tooth or do you let it go? We face this question all day, every day. Do we save that tooth? Do we take the next step? Is it worth it? What is the best decision in this situation? In this podcast with Dr. Michael Frazes, we talk a lot about making that decision. When do we throw in the towel? And he frames it in a way that really makes a lot of sense. Because in the end, it's actually the patient's choice what they do. We need to do what is best for them. Taking on that burden of that decision too much ourselves could lead us down the path of doing herodontics that fails and have angry patients because of that. Or we could be down the other path, which is too conservative to the point where we're not treating the, the patients the way they need to be treated. Dr. Michael Frazes is an Australian general dentist. He's been through this before and he's now teaching and trying to help people in these situations with this kind of general dentistry on Ripe Global. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the notes to get 30% off your membership for life. Sometimes the answer to taking the stress off our shoulders is the way we frame the conversation and the thought process. Perhaps it's not really up to us. We start this podcast with Dr. Michael Frazes telling us how he approaches the herodontics dilemma. All right. So, yeah, with with saving teeth, the problem that I had early on was knowing when to throw in the towel. Like, when do you try to do some sort of heroic dentistry and when do you try to just go, you know what? This needs an implant. There is no point continuing with this. And a lot of the times I was trying to make that decision myself. And I found that giving that decision to the patient was obviously a better way of doing it. It's their tooth. They can own the problem. There are a lot of teeth that I can save, but it's just a matter of does the patient want me to save that tooth? And what do I mean by that? So it's all about risk. And that's something that we don't really get taught very well in in dentistry is understanding risk management and discussing risk with a patient. So let's say you have a tooth that has a stained distal crack. It's asymptomatic. The pulp is vital and alive and it's doing really well. And you've tested it. There's no periapical pathology, but there's this large crack. And you're like, we need to do a crown on this tooth just to protect it. The crack is getting wider. There's a bit of decay. You take it apart and then you see that little distal crack is actually quite a large mesial distal crack running through the whole tooth. You take a photo, you show the patient and you go, look, there's a big crack on this tooth. There is a chance that this crack could either get into the nerve. And if and when it does, we've got to open it up, start a root canal. But if that crack is going down the roots of the tooth, then the tooth is stuffed. We need to take it out, consider replacement options. Do you want me to proceed with doing a crown on this tooth, knowing that if you pay for a crown, however many thousands of dollars it is, and the tooth breaks in two months, two weeks, two years' time, you will still need to pay to remove it and do everything else like that. Like you're not getting your money back or anything like that. Are you okay with that? And they go either yes or no. If they say, yes, that's fine, you do the crown, everyone's happy, you've got consent. If they say, no, I don't don't think I want to do a crown because I can't afford to do a crown now and then in six months' time do an implant or do this and do that, we go, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll just do a filling 
on this too. See how long we get out of it and then explore those options at that point in time. And then you go, the patient chose what they wanted to do. Obviously, putting a crown decreases the risk of it cracking, but they've spent more money and then they have less money to do that other thing that would solve the problem if they lost a tooth. So in keeping it as a resin filling, they have a higher risk of it fracturing, but they get to keep some money aside so that when it does fracture, they can replace it. So every patient's gonna be a bit different. So I give them that option and I take a photo so they can see it and they go, that looks pretty nasty. I mean, every patient says that a crack looks pretty nasty. I've never seen a patient go, oh, that crack, that's fine. That looks okay. <laughs> they always see their occlusal fissures and they're like, ooh, that needs a filling. I'm like, no, that's just a, yeah, that's that's how they the normally same. look. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when you should throw in the towel, I mean, there are times where I open a tooth up and I go, this this is not fixable. I mean, you're, ex- you're removing decay and then you've hit like the crest of the bone and then you still want to keep going or you've gone into the furcation and the patient's like, no, I need you to save the tooth. And you're like, no, you need to throw in the towel. Like if, it's, if I can't clamp a tooth, I can't fix a tooth. With... I Can mean, you touch you on c- that actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, t- touch on a, a, a case where the patient's really, really pushing you to save a tooth, but you know, you're you're, you're a couple of years out of you know, not not a lot of confidence in these decisions, but you, you're starting to think I can't save this tooth. How do you go through that process with the patient, or how do you what do you recommend to those dentists? So the way that I approach those cases, and I've approached this from from the very beginning, was I set the expectation up from the start. So I. I don't know if I created it, but it's just what I call it. So I've got these appointments called open and explore appointments because I, I realized, um, you know, after speaking to, I think a few of the nurses had um, explorative surgery for endometriosis and stuff at the, at the practice. And then I realized, well, the surgeon didn't know what was happening inside that person's body. So they opened it up and had a look before they came up with a diagnosis and then a plan. So I'm like, why don't I do that? The patient's got symptoms. I don't know what's happening with this crack. So I need to open it up and have a look and then come up with a a plan from there. So I do that with patients. I say, look, what we're going to do is we need to open this tooth up and we'll have a look. If If the crack is into the nerve, if the decay is into the nerve, we'll remove the nerve and then we'll see if that crack is going down the roots of the tooth. If the cracks down the roots of the tooth, the tooth is unfortunately not fixable. We'll put a dressing in there just to temporize for the time being, but we will need to consider the long-term options after we remove that tooth, which we can do today if you really want. But if you're going for an implant, then we'll have to delay it so we can do a graft, et cetera, et cetera. And then I sort of walk them through everything while I'm doing the procedure. So I go, okay, well, we've numbed them up, everything will go, okay, we're doing the occlusal reduction or whatever we're doing, removing the old filling. Yep, there's definitely decay on that back half of the tooth. All right, I've removed all of the decay. There's enough tooth structure here to to keep the tooth in there and I can, you know, do a new filling on this tooth. That's great. But the crack is, you know, into the into the nerve. There's the pulp is just there. I can see it. There's just bleeding. I'm going to have to start a root canal. You put your rubber dam on. You get your photos and all that if you need to. And then you access into the nerve and then you go, okay, I've removed all of the nerve tissue. I can see that crack. Is it going down the, you know, the root of the tooth? No, 
it's a very superficial crack. It's it's thankfully it's it's up in the you know the top part of the tooth. It's not going down the roots. I can do a filling. I can do a root canal, and then we can keep this tooth. Or it's going down the root of the tooth. I'm sorry, I did all I could. The tooth is no longer fixable, and then you go from there. And then the patient goes in going, okay, I might lose this tooth, but the only way I'll know for certain is if I explore and see what your options are. Because if you go, oh, let's just do a crown. And then the crown doesn't work because they had a need for a root canal or the tooth to be removed. Well, then you just look silly to the patient and then you lose all their trust. Whereas if you tell them, I don't know what's happening to this tooth. I need to find out before you spend thousands of dollars on it. I want you to be sure that you're making the right decision. So I need to open it and explore it and figure it out. And it's not like it's wasted money because you need to do a core anyway for these teeth or you need to do a new filling and if it's not into the nerve well it's pretty close because otherwise you wouldn't be doing these kind of procedures and then you might want to leave it for six months to to settle so you need to do that filling you need to do that you know extirpation regardless and then you just just separate it into two appointments rather than doing a core and then the crown at some other time but it's always these uncertain pain patients or you know, those kind of things. And you just get that one tooth stable. Like I had, there is one, one case. So that I had a lady, she had pain bottom left-hand side. Now she had seen her regular dentist. He tried to do a filling, but for whatever reason, they just couldn't get her numb. And then she lost faith in them. And then she'd seen him for like 15 years, but she just lost faith and then came and saw me. And then I saw her on the day and I said, I only have enough time to explore one of these three teeth or three teeth are all symptomatic on the bottom left-hand side. And I said, the one I'm thinking is the most logical is this first molar on the bottom left. It's giving you hot symptoms. It's, there's no, there's a crack on the back of it. There's no symptoms with the nerve other than cold sensitivity. It might need a root canal, but I won't know until I open it up. So I open it up. It's not into the nerve. It's just a very, very deep filling, but it's one of those ones where you can just see the pulp, like, you know, the shadow of the pulp just under the dentine and there's no tertiary dentine. It's just like staring right at you. Like if you blow on it, it would just cave yeah. in kind Don't of thing. Don't push too hard. Don't yeah. push too hard. <laughs> and I took a photo, I sat her up. I said, look, based on your symptoms, this tooth doesn't need a root canal. However, in my experience, I think that it might end up needing a root canal. Do you want me to do a root canal from now, knowing that if it didn't need a root canal, if it does need a root canal, you still need to finish the root canal? Or do you want to just put a filling and see how you go? It might get rid of some of your symptoms, but not all of them. She goes, just do a filling, see how you go. So I did the filling, then I called her back the next day and I said, how is it going? And she goes, it's better but not a hundred percent yet. I'm still getting a little bit of sensitivity on that bottom side. So look, the two teeth either side need work done to them. That middle one, I'm more than happy to just take the nerve out on Saturday when I booked her in for the second follow-up appointment, if it's still giving you pain. Came in on the Saturday, she goes, yep, just take the nerve out of that one. It's definitely that one that's, that's sore. The other two just had some superficial decay that was also contributing to some sensitivity. Went in, took the nerve out, and then what I saw was there was actually a crack running 
down the root of the tooth that wasn't on the external surface. I couldn't see it. So that tooth had cracked from the inside out and I didn't know it and I couldn't give her that option, but I had told her, look, you might end up needing to have this tooth removed. So she was well prepared and we did the other two fillings and I temporized that one. And then she came back and we did the whole sort of checkup and, and consult of everything. And now she goes, yep, this tooth is now stable. There is no pain in it whatsoever, but she still needs to get the tooth out. And she knows that from the beginning because I told her about it. I've shown her photos about it. And then we've had follow-up discussions about it. So she can't go, oh, the tooth is fine. I'll just leave it for six years. And then it just splits in half. And then she goes, but you didn't tell me that I needed to have the tooth out. Like I have a photo of every little step. So you have those, those cases where you go, I think this is just going to be a filling. And then you open it up and you're like, it's just a filling, but it might need endo. And then you wait and then it needs endo. And then you go, something's still not quite right here. And then you find that crack or this or that. And then you go, you know what, we just need to throw in the towel. There is no point in you doing a root canal and then it lasts, you know, a year and a half and then it flares up again. And then you spent, you know, halfway to doing an implant. Well, you might as well just leave it as a temporary extirpation and filling and then just do an implant when it sort of fails if you wanted to delay the implant kind of situation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those things in dentistry, there are maybes, there are possibilities. It's not always certainty, um, mm -hmm. but it's about the way you set it up for the patient so they understand that there are those, those risks. It's that time of year again. Before June 30, we have to renew our indemnity insurance. And when I look for an insurer, I'm looking for someone who's going to be there when I need their help. They're going to act fast and they're going to be by my side so I can practice with confidence. I get all of that from Dental Protection Limited. What I love about them is that they're more than just an insurer. They're actually here to help us, to give us content and support us with medical legal situations. And most importantly, help us avoid these situations. The content they produce is the best content out there from an insurer like them. Renewal notices are out in May. To make sure you get all of these added benefits, sign up by June 30. I can say from personal experience, when you need help, you'll be glad you're with Dental Protection Limited. Thank you, Dental Protection Limited, for supporting me in my career and the Dental Head Start podcast. I was going to ask you, yeah, how do you, you charge for that kind of exploratory appointment? Um, I hear you saying, you know, if you're going to do a crown, well, you're going to charge for a filling, which is now the core. Um, or if you need to extirpate, obviously, you charge for the extirpation. Yeah. Is there any other the situations where you, there's certain ways you charge the patient or certain ways you phrase it for the patient so they understand costs? So... It, it depends on obviously if you're a preferred provider or not. Obviously, if you're not a preferred provider, then you just charge for the amount of time that you're going to take and that's what I do. And I tell the patient that the, you're paying me for the time that I'm spending to take this tooth apart. It generally takes about half hour or 40 minutes to, to do it depending on the tooth. And I say, you're going to spend this much money to explore and fix this tooth. Now, some of those times I'll need to extirpate. That's included in that cost. Whether I put the item number there or, or not, it's just included in that cost. So I tell the patient, this is how much money you're going to spend. If they need to be extirpated, then I'll charge them for a filling and the extirpation and I'll split the cost between those two. If I go, you know what, doesn't need a filling. I'm just, oh, sorry, doesn't need a filling. Doesn't need a, uh, a root canal. It's just a filling. Then I'll just charge them that same amount that I quoted them for but just for filling. But then you go, but what happens if they need a root canal in like a couple of weeks time, just like this lady? Well, then what I'm going to do is I'm not going to charge them any more 
to then take the nerve out at that second appointment because it was all paid for in you know quotation marks at that first appointment you're paying me to do this thing to the tooth and that's what we need to do well there are times where it's generally with the preferred provider patients where i tell them okay this is the fee for doing an extirpation and a filling on this tooth so i tell them that's the cost because i'm assuming i'm going to do an extirpation if I don't need to extirpate, obviously I don't charge for that. So the cost will go lower, I tell them. I say, so if we don't need to take the nerve out today, the cost will be lower. But if you come back in two days time to take the nerve out, you'll then be paying the difference in the cost. So they still pay that same amount, but obviously with preferred providers, I can't chop and change the, um, the things around. So essentially, if they're preferred providers, you just deal with it like that if they're you know, fully private patients, then you go, well, this is how much you're going to pay me for this. And if I need to come back a second time, well, then you've already paid me for it. It's like when you do a crown prep and then they come back because their temporary's fallen off. Well, you just make them a new tempering. It's included in the cost of the, the first one. Yeah, that simplifies things too. And the patient can understand uh, basically you're getting an outcome. I'll do what I need to do to get you that outcome. Yeah, the, patients don't want a procedure. They want an outcome. So exactly what you're saying. Patients don't come in because they want a crown. They want their tooth to stay together. So you give them that outcome. That's what they're paying for. Yeah, exactly. And when you start thinking about it like that, it makes it makes more sense. Um, when think about maybe a couple of years ago, you know, earlier in your career, um, would you say you were leaning um, towards saving too many teeth, a little bit of herodontics, or, or not as many teeth? Is there a way you kind of leaned, and is there some advice around those decisions you can give? Um, I actually think I save a lot more teeth now that I do implants than I did back then because back then, like the slightest bit of like some gingival something or, you know, a little crack here and there, I'd be like, not too hard, just palm it off to the next guy who's going to do the implant because I was like, oh, implants, they're just a solution for everything. You just take the tooth out, put a screw in the bone and everything's amazing. But then once you start learning more about implants, you kind of realize they're a little bit more challenging and a bit more difficult to to do correctly than people think they're pretty straightforward to put in. But to do right, they're a bit more difficult. And then they have their own sets of complications. So on a patient, let's say they're 25-year-old female and their central has got a, a periapical lesion underneath and they've had a root canal and you're like well we could just take it out and do an implant but they're a 25 year old female with a high smile line do you want to condemn them to having an implant for the rest of their life because you know that in x number of years time they're going to need some additional work on it and then a few years after that they need additional work on it and then a few years after that they need additional work for it so as you start doing implants you start of start trying to push the start date of the implant as far into the future as possible. And that's what I, I tend to do. So there's a lot more teeth that I save these days because a patient can't have an implant or can't afford an implant. And that's that's where I came up with the um, the course and the, the lecture that I had made of non-implant replacement option because I think when we graduate, we kind of focus on implants being this how Mary of dentistry of saving, you know, lives and every gap gets an implant. But there are, we forget that there's the patient attached to it and there are a lot of patients that can't physically have implants, can't tolerate it, don't want surgery, can't afford it, can't do this, can't do that. 
or just shouldn't have implants. There's a lot of procedures that we do that need to be done on specific types of patients and not patients that necessarily want them, but patients that actually desperately need them kind of stuff. Like you get patients all the time that want veneers, but they need ortho. So it's the same thing with implants. Like you get patients like, oh, I want an implant, but you have 0.5 millimeters of bone and then it's your sinus. It's like, oh, we'll just graft it. It's not that easy. There, you've got you know large amalgams on either side. Just do a bridge. Like save those other teeth, do a bridge. It's fine. You, you can get away without having that implant. So yeah, it's early on you you do get stuck because if you don't talk to the patient beforehand, it becomes an excuse afterwards. Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't I couldn't save this tooth. If you tell them about it beforehand, then it becomes part of consent. Like I'm going to try and open this tooth up and see what the tooth needs. It's not you that's ruined the tooth. The patient did whatever they did in their life and now the tooth is broken or decayed. So it's your job not to you know, condemn the tooth or do whatever. It, you're just sort of uncovering what the tooth's real situation is, presenting that to the patient and then going, this is fixable or this is not fixable. It's like when you take your car to the mechanic, like you don't know what's wrong with it. You just sort of go, what's wrong with my tooth? And they say, your engine is, you know, fried or you need a new spark plug or this or that. And then you go, okay, well, we can fix that. But there are times where they go, this is not fixable. This car is a write-off. You need a brand new car. And you go in and you have that understanding that, you know, this tooth might not be fixable. And then you just, you know, go from there. And it's it's important about the way you described it as well. And if it is borderline fixable, something that will last for a few years but not a decade, as long as they understand that that yeah. is trying to push that implant down the road and there's a purpose behind the procedure. Um, I think raising the, the mechanic story, I think that's a really good one. Imagine you went to the mechanic and they said, uh, you could do nothing, <laughs> your car won't work, um, and you can have all these different options. You decide. It's like, no, nah, mate, you decide. That's why I pay you. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's similar in dentistry. You mentioned a course that you do. Um, I believe that's in the rest, uh, Restoration Fundamentals course um, on Right Global. Uh, there will be links to that in the show notes, um, there's a, there's a discount code as well. Um, Dr. Michael Frazers, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on saving teeth. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the OrthoEd segment. This is my journey in getting orthodontics and learning orthodontics with OrthoEd and the mini masters. I'm not trying to teach you orthodontics here. I am on my journey of learning, but I do hope these segments show you a bit of behind the scenes with both someone getting orthodontics and someone learning orthodontics if you're new to the field. Today, we're going to talk about planning cases, and this is something I find really relevant because right now, I'm planning my own case, and I'm finding that I'm leaving it behind. I'm not kind of getting it done because I don't have a dedicated time to do it. And I find this is completely different to general dentistry. Normally, I walk into the room, I'll see my patient, we'll plan together, we'll have an outcome. By the end of it, I don't have to think about that case until I see them again to start the treatment. Orthodontics is completely different. Obviously, we see them, we take the records, but the planning actually happens when they're not there. And that's something you need to dedicate time to. If I've learned anything from doing the podcast and CPD Junkie while working full-time and, and most importantly, my young family and looking after myself, I have found that you have to 
plan your time, you have to have dedicated times to do different things and you have to stick to a schedule. And so I, I find this point quite relevant. I'm not sure if you will, but for orthodontics and planning Invisalign cases, I need a specific schedule where I'm either checking, planning or thinking about cases at specific times. So for me, I've kind of set up a new routine where every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at lunchtime before I go off or sometimes when I go off to the river or wherever I go, I'm looking at a case, I'm planning a case, I'm thinking about it. And that makes sure that you find the time every time to get these done, to get them done efficiently and so that they don't become that weight on your shoulders because you've been procrastinating if you're anything like me. So this one is short and sweet. It's a really simple topic, um, but I think that's pretty useful stuff and that's something I'm working on with my Invisalign journey now. If you want to go down the path of learning orthodontics with OrthoEd, you can get 10% off with Dental Head Start. Go to dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed, find all these little segments, find the discount codes, and go on your journey to learn orthodontics. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.